It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk today. I'm excited to be back on the air and back going again here with Talent Talk. We did take a little bit of time off, as we thought was necessary, both uh, because of the COVID pandemic, uh, as well as just allowing our guests and, of course, our employees and myself the time to adjust and make sure that we could, you know, provide those things that are the most critical uh, to each business. But as things have begun to sort of evolve here, we definitely heard from our listeners uh, that they wanted uh, to, to for us to get going again, and we're really excited to bring in some some experts and some people that are really helping uh, think about things that are super important to this time. And uh, even if you are listening to this show well after this has been aired, I'm sure we'd be confident there'll still be things to, to use and to take uh, no matter when uh, you may be listening. So uh, Talent Talk is really just this culmination of stories and guests uh, and incredible people that have stories to tell, that have had wonderful experiences that, you know, have something to teach us around talent, around this idea of talented people, about uh, what they're doing and their, their secrets and things we can learn from them, as well as what are the secrets and cool things they're doing with their people, with their talent. So talent having this, this sort of double meaning here for our uses and our sort of thought process. So, you know, and I, we, we've been able to, to tell so many great stories over the, over the years. You know, in my first book, The Power of Company Culture, uh, we have a lot of those great stories there. I'd love to have you check that out, as well as my story and how my company persevered through the last crisis. And I'm currently writing another book right now, and I'm sure there'll be more about how we're trying to persevere through this crisis. And I'd love to have you check out a copy of that book anytime. Uh, again, it's The Power of Company Culture. So, um, Talent Talk is now back. We are live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And most of you catch us, though, uh, by subscribing to Podbean, going to talenttalkradio.com, or finding us on iTunes and subscribing there. I think you can also find us on Stitcher and other places. Wherever you're finding your podcast, we're probably there. So a big thank you to everyone who's a part of the millions of downloads we get a year. Um, and again, we're excited to be back, and I'm excited to introduce you to uh, my two guests today who will be really doing most of the talking from here on out and we'll be learning from them. So in case you are extra eager and uh, love to have a conversation, uh, we do live tweet the best comments. We put links to books and, and websites and things that the guests and I have brought up onto Twitter. So if you're following at PeopleG2, can also follow the hashtag talent talk, all one word. And my social media maven, Sarah, will be sort of feeding me any questions that come in and we'll certainly answer your questions and 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 
you know, kind of keep that conversation going, whether it's live or after the fact. And um, we do again all that on Twitter. So today's guest excited to bring in someone who, who recently sort of left the corporate world and has now gone off on her own. Uh, so Jennifer McCluster, PhD, founder and CEO of McCluster Consulting. And we're going to get into where she's been working and what she's doing here in just a moment. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in Stephanie Crow, head of global learning at uh, Ingenico. So uh, excited to find out what's going on with her. Uh, and we'll get her after the after this first interview. But let's go ahead and bring in my friend Jennifer McCluster. Jennifer, how are, how are things going? How are you doing? Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, things are as good as they can be. <laughs> yeah, as good as they can be. Yeah. Well, that, that's good uh, because I think there's a new floor, a new ceiling these days. But why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of your what's important to know about you and your, your sort of career and journey. And then, of course, you know, weave that into what, what are you doing now? Sure. Yeah, great. Uh, and hello to all your listeners. Thank you for this opportunity. So, yeah, I'm excited to introduce McCusker Consulting. As you mentioned, I've spent the last 20-plus years as an internal practitioner, uh, building and leading the talent and OD function in companies across multiple industries. So, this lead to launching my own consulting practice is very exhilarating and also wracking. Uh, part of my DNA being a doctor, push people's thinking and see them challenge themselves in new and different ways. So, it's my company, I'm, I'm able to bring that into the way I engage with companies around their strategy and design for talent management, culture, employee life cycle, leadership, and effectiveness. And I also love my role as both a leadership coach and a keynote speaker because both of those give me an opportunity to help elicit insights in people. Yeah, and, and I know that you, uh, you know, I sort of got introduced to, to you from when you were over at Blizzard and uh, and of course, your incredible uh, focus and love around kind of, I guess, maybe, I don't know if you would put it this way, but I would say sort of brain science, right? Um, yeah, and yeah. and, and th thinking about people through that that lens. Um, and, and I think that's how we sort of met and got connected. Maybe you could kind of talk a little bit about that part of it, about sure. where that started for you. Sure, sure. So... So neuroscience is one of my favorite topics. Uh, so it started for me, geez, probably about 12 years ago. And I got really, I got introduced. I think I was in the right place at the right time. I uh, got introduced to a lot of the soon-to-be emerging research that now has become, you know, a hot topic. And a lot of people are hearing more about it. But I, really, I was able to get in really early by chance and became a, a bit of a groupie around this research and this data. And so I've been studying this and using all of this research in the companies that I've worked for and sort of really got a pretty good command for the application of all of this research. Certainly, the uh, uh, you know that avenue, and I think you and I had this conversation before, of, you know, sort of you, there have been so many different ways to look at uh, why people make the decisions they do and, and how they might react and how they learn and different different disciplines. But it feels like we're finally getting to this place where there's a lot of agreement through the different disciplines because there has been so many advancements both in what we understand from a neuroscience standpoint, but also sort of tested and you know, replicated and, and observed both, you know, from a neuroscience standpoint and then from a psycholo psychology standpoint. Do you, do you sort of view it that way or do you think there's a long, still a lot farther for us to go to really get, you know, that, that, that true agreement between all the different disciplines? 
mean, I think we're a lot of headway, right? So all of these things have surfaced to the top of our radar, and some of them very, are, are very relevant in kind of what's happening in the world today, like, like for example, bias, right? There's so much research going on, so much exciting research happening around social, social interactions and the, and the fact that if you have a brain, you're inherently biased, right? And so and bias isn't always bad, the shortcuts that our brain takes based on our experiences. And so it can manifest itself in a positive way or a negative way. But um, really understanding what's at the root of that, I think, is um, is really important. And so, you know, it's I think it's fun, exciting kind of stuff that we're, we're, we're getting, you know, a glimpse into. And I still think there's a lot more questions than there are answers. But there's neuroscientists and labs. Uh, across universities around the world working on this stuff. And I think as long as we're all there as practitioners, as the research comes out to do what, what you know, we have a, you know, I feel like it's an obligation as practitioners that when we have science, uh, we we need to tend to it and we need to to use it in, in the right place to really advance our own field. So I know your company, McCluster uh, Consulting, uh, you, you know, is sort of focused on talent and science and courage. Maybe you could talk about what that means and how that plays into, you know, I guess what you bring to to a company who's looking to to think about neuroscience and to think about it this way through this lens uh, when they want to work with someone like you. Sure. Yeah. So there's a quote that I absolutely love by Theodore Zeldin, and it's puzzled me for a very long time. And um, the, the quote is, is a question that he asked, which is, when will we make the same breakthroughs in the way we treat each other as we have made in technology? And it's just one of those things that you think about, there's tens of thousands of books on leadership uh, on Amazon, and companies are spending millions of dollars every year on people development, yet this is still a question that we're all pondering, right? And so what are we missing? Why are we not able to have that breakthrough? So in recent years, we've seen this insurgence of human behavior data coming from particularly the field of neuroscience, but also uh, behavioral economics and things like that. And so, you know, as a neuroscience geek, I do believe it's incredibly promising. So initially, I was thinking that all of these research studies were, were going to be the unlock that we've been waiting for, sort of the answer to that question that Theodore Zeldin posed. And so... Because with that, we would have talent, which is the behaviors, the knowledge, the people you surround yourself with. And then now you have the science, which takes us beyond theory and experience, provides us with real emerging evidence to really harden up some of those looser constructs that we've been working with. But as I sat with this concept of talent times science, it still felt like something was missing. Because why was it that even with this new and quite frankly, pretty compelling science, there was still a slow uptake on it. And so it was in really sitting and asking myself that question that I had the aha moment that there was still a variable missing from the equation, which is courage. Because we can surround ourselves with talented people and we can understand the scientific research, but if it's not enough if you're not willing to do something about it. And so courage is about the guts to take the leap, to set the plan in motion, but also having that intestinal fortitude to understand that you're playing the long game and stick with the plan when things get bumpy or rough. So together, talent times science times courage creates what I believe is the formula for breakthrough change and success. The key being that they're multiplied, not added, because 
if any one of those items in the equation is missing or is zero, then the whole equation is a zero. I think that the thing to remember is that real breakthrough is hard. It's very difficult. It means taking the longer, more difficult road. It means trusting others and committing yourself to a process and resisting the multiple urges there will be to quit or change course. But sometimes the most worthwhile things are also the most difficult. And the fact that a breakthrough is possible alone is worth the investment. And so bringing that neuroscience in and the courage and then having, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people, I really think that we might be then at the place where Theodore Zeldin was looking for the unlock. Well, and, and it's a great point. I mean, we certainly could look at what's happening today uh, as we're taping this show live. I mean, there's so many things that continue to happen over and over again. There's so many sort of repeats of history, uh, repeats of injustice, repeats of, of whatever. And you think, couldn't we, can't we learn how to, to be better? Can't we learn how to change behaviors or to to somehow elevate, you know, to, again, some, some way to grow as a society, right? Uh, and yet we seem to be making a lot of the same mistakes, and, and that feels very parallel to what you're talking about just inside of work, that, you know, we may we may understand it, and we may know we can get better, there may be somewhere to go, but you have to have that courage, I guess, to, to decide to do it. And, and the other thing that was sort of popping in my mind as you were talking was, it's almost like exercise. I mean, on one hand, there's a lot of different ways that you can eat right and you can exercise and be healthy and all of that. And it's to what extent do you want to take it and how, will, how willing are you to work hard at it? Uh, and what result do you want out of it? And that, of course, might be different for everybody. And yet, no matter how much we know about health and fitness, there's still, I would say, a majority of us are probably feel like we're not <laughs> quite quite getting where we're supposed to be. We're not you know, we're not some superior athletes who, who eat perfectly all the time. And, you know, so it's like, how, how do you balance all of that to find what's right for you and for your organization in trying to figure out what, what do you do from that brain standpoint to, to, to excel and for your company to be fantastic? And how much of that is personal choice versus being a leader and asking people to think about these things? So I don't know if any of that sort of you would agree with any of that, or, or if maybe I've, I've gone, uh, you know, a little bit uh, off course here. It's a good one. And I think it actually segues into a different topic around, you know, who you are as a person and kind of your health, right? And the every decision that you make either, you know, adds to the story that you want told about yourself or detracts from it, right? Uh, but you're, it's the decision you're making. And so part of your it's part of what is important to you uh and that's the message that you're sending out and so it takes a lot of courage to stand for something right and to stand loudly for something and so uh, that's the part that i just think um, we don't have enough of yeah and 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 i'm blanking on the name of this cognitive bias but it's, i remember that one that was sort of like you know if you know a little bit about something you tend to be very confident and if you learn a lot about something you tend to be less confident until you become like the expert and so i think a lot of people know enough about things that they tend to be a little bit more reserved feel like they don't know everything and so maybe they don't uh, stand up and, and are vocal and but they should be right if they know enough to to have an opinion and to be able to to at least start a conversation and to work towards something if we're, if our intent is to improve our teams or to improve our company or to improve our division or whatever it may be. Certainly. And, um, and it might be about, yeah, and it might be about then have the courage to learn more. Right. Right. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be all knowing, right. But have the courage to look into it and question your own assumptions. 
So, you know, if we look at this from, I guess, from a leadership development standpoint, I know, you know, over the years there's been sort of this kind of core competencies out there. I mean, what is your perspective on on leadership comp, uh, competencies going forward? So, you know, we've talked a lot about how uh, the world we're living in is, is, I mean, we're in this really incredible time in life, both positively and negatively, right, and kind of living history right now. And there's so many signals that, the realities of the world we're living and working in are changing and changing very, very quickly and dramatically. Yet the leadership competencies that we talk about seem to have remained constant, right? We're still going to the same models and using the same, you know, X number, depending on the, the model that you use of the foundational competencies. And it's not to say that there aren't foundational competencies that cut across changes, but I do think that if we bring forward the new technology, the rapidly increasing speed of change, advancements in science, you know, et cetera, I would suggest that there are competencies we should be selecting for, developing on, and promoting based on that are missing from today's competency model. So, for example, um, in, a lot of, in a lot of the traditional models, sort of risk-taking, a willingness to try and fail, or vulnerability, you know, your, your willingness to be vulnerable, seeing around corners, pattern recognition, sensing microtrends, right? These are the types of competencies that I, I don't think ha- yet have gotten the recognition that they deserve, especially in today's world where we're really needing to see those a lot more. And so I, I just believe that this is what we really should be investing in developing right now. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe it might be helpful you know, if there's somebody out there who hasn't really thought about this this kind of an approach, right? They haven't really dug themselves into into neuroscience or neuroleadership, whatever you want to call it. Do you think there's a good starting place? Is there somewhere for them? I mean, should they be thinking about cognitive biases? Should they be thinking about a particular program? I mean, where would you sort of send someone who knows very little or, or nothing at all about this part of the science to start looking at or start thinking about? Yeah, well... The, in terms of the competencies I just mentioned, I think it comes from a lot of different places. So I would say that there's behavioral economics. Uh, some of it comes from there. Some of it comes from this idea of foresight. And so there's a really amazing institution called the Institute for the Future that their whole purpose is dedicated to foresight across industries, you know, across sort of you know, social and economic spheres around the world. And so the, the research that they're putting out is, is really amazing. And Bob Johansson actually yeah, it's just launched his most recent book called, I think it's called Leadership, The New Leadership Literacies or Leader, Leadership Literacies of the Future. I'm sorry that I don't um, remember it exactly, but that, yeah, it, you know, kind of gets to this point a little bit. In terms of neuroscience, you know, there's the Academy of Brain-Based Leadership, so that website is academy-bbl.com, and there's also the Neuroleadership Institute. And so both of those websites have a lot of resources, so many. And so depending on what it is, that, where, where you want to start, whether it's, you know, bias or decision-making or sleep or, you know, threats and triggers, and, you know, you'll, you'll be able to find research out there on one of those two sites. Well, that's a great place to start, and I always want to not assume all of our listeners are completely, you know, maybe up to date or averse in it as some others. So I want to, it's a good kind of starting place for, for any of our listeners to go and check that out. You know, the other thing too is, is, is they, as they may be doing this, that, uh, you know, talent and OD teams certainly have 
been kind of chasing on how to how to show ROI with these types of things. And so, you know, if someone is interested, if they've said, geez, this is maybe something we should spend time on, we should train on, you know, are there any thoughts on, on what they ought to be talking about and thinking about if they need to convince their organization or their different teams on on the kind of ROI you might see in, in thinking about this type of, uh, of training and development? So I have a bit of a provocative point of view on this. Um, in fact, I blog on today. So it's actually a topic that I feel we, we need to slay the sacred cow or at least seriously examine and question it. I just feel that we've reached a point at which we're making decisions for this empty purpose of what we get in return rather than it being the right thing to do. So this isn't, you know, obviously there are there are the economics of business. I'm acutely aware of that, right? And of course, you should do a lot of due diligence when you're acquiring a company or selecting enterprise software or expanding into a new market, right? Of course. But when you think about um, the like, you know, people development and some of the some of that part of the business, what I would offer is there's a, a tremendous amount of time and mental capacity being spent on trying to isolate variables to calculate the ROI of things that I believe should just be investments, full stop. No expectation or exhaustive search of quantifiable returns. Uh, for example, developing people is the right thing to do. It's part of the value proposition, right? And similarly, teams working on themselves is fundamentally a good idea, right? Or making an onboarding experience that's reflective of the culture, engages people in the brand, gives them what they need when they need it. It seems to me that that's something that supersedes measurement. And so, I mean, how much time do we really need to spend dissecting what we get in return for these? What if we use that same amount of time, energy, and money being spent on trying to isolate variables and quantify the ROI for people development, actually developing the people? Yeah, I know. I love that. And that's, you know, there are those things that we just sort of decided, have decided along the way that this is a part of what we should be doing. It's a part of what's right. It's a part of what we know. And, and you know, I'm not sure what anyone gauges ROI for providing health care. I mean, there is an ROI and we, we, we can study it, but I mean, we, we do that, right? We, we do these certain things to sort of say, this is a part of what we know is right and what our employees need. And, and so maybe some of those things that you're sort of mentioning would definitely be a part of that. And I think it's worth that discussion and hopefully people can, uh, Check out your blog post if they need some more help with that. You know, sort of speaking of reading things, is there a book that you're reading these days that you might uh, share with us? Yeah. So right now I'm reading The Infinite Game. It's Simon Sinek's new book. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. It's, you know, the concept of it is about contributing to something bigger than yourself, something that continues after you're gone, as opposed to focusing on how to win. And it's kind of an acknowledgement and a call for the courage to be a part of a cause instead of a finite game. So, for example, he uses um, in the book, he's you know talking about two computer companies, one of which is you know rallying its employees and focusing everyone on how to beat their competitor, where the other one is rallying everyone, all of their employees, and focusing on how to help teachers and students learn. One of those is a very finite mindset, right? And one of those is infinite. And the, the power of an infinite mindset that, that is beyond a CEO's reign or any leader's you know, moment in time in that business, to, 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 be, to have the courage to do that instead of to, you know, to be looking at kind of what I contributed in my time there, right, is, is just an interesting, an interesting idea. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great book. And uh, I think certainly has a lot to add to the conversation today. So hopefully our, our listeners will check that out. And again, we'll post that on uh, Twitter. And But uh, Jennifer, we are unfortunately out of time, but I really appreciate you being on the show here today uh, and being our, our first guest back from our little COVID break. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in finding out more about you and your company? Yeah, great. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, either under Jennifer McCusker or McCusker Consulting. And in addition, check out my website. It's www.mccuskerconsulting. Um, and I'm just going to spell it. It's M-C-C-U-S-K-E-R consulting.com. And while you're there, send me a message. Check out my blog. I'm super excited about this this experience I'm launching called the Meraki Experience. It's sort of a look inside yourself and kind of search for your intention. And so I would love to um, have anyone reach out for more information or sign up for one of those. And there's lots of other fun stuff on there. Yeah, I know we didn't get to the Meraki stuff today, but hopefully we can have you come back uh, and and give us an update uh, in the future and have you back on the show. Uh, it was really great to have you here. So um, stay safe and uh, we'll hope to, to have you back again real soon. Sounds good. Thank you. I will take this quick commercial break and come back with my second guest, Stephanie Crow. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my uh, first guest, uh, Jennifer McCuster, we will certainly have her show uh, up pretty quick. So make sure that you subscribe to at uh, talenttalkradio.com or on iTunes uh, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts so that you know when it's ready and out. Uh, and we will certainly uh, keep you all posted. So my second guest, though, is Stephanie Crow, head of global learning at Ingentico. Um, as a reminder, don't forget, we are tweeting everything here at PeopleG2. You can follow the best one-liners, the links, uh, the best bits of advice, uh, and, of course, uh, ask questions of the guests or myself on anything you heard today uh, or that you're curious about. So let's go ahead and bring uh, Stephanie into the show. St- Stephanie, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. You're welcome. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, You know what you're doing, what your journey has been, and certainly what... Uh, you know, you and your company are doing right now. Oh, sure. Well, so um, as you mentioned, I lead global learning at Ingenico Group. My whole goal is to help leaders and teams get the most of their talent. So uh, essentially, we are a global payments provider. Um, we're on the cutting edge of the payments industry right now. There's a lot of omni-channel and contactless and other types of things to help commerce happen around the world that uh, that we're really at the forefront right now. So it's an exciting time and, uh, and a very fast-moving industry right now. 
So how did you get in to be, uh, you know, head of global learning? And what was sort of your, I guess, your path to, to, to end up in that kind of a position? Uh, well, that's an interesting question because most people that you ask about uh, being in training or learning will say that they didn't actually go to school to become that. They discovered that they belong there. So at, uh, at some point in my career, I kept working myself out of jobs and doing things like creating training tools or optimizing processes or teaching other people how to do it. And I kept working myself out of, you know, my work. And I thought, well, maybe this is not a good thing to do. And then I realized that's actually my talent is, is helping make things more effective so that I can and teach others. So, so I really discovered that, uh, that I really belong. My, my big impact is in learning. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, since you have uh, that, that sort of deep experience and understand what it takes, you know, Talent Talk here is, is all about leadership and talent development uh, and understanding what talented people are doing. Maybe we could start with what would you say is wrong with, with how we develop leaders in, in talent today? Maybe What are we getting wrong? <laughs> It's a great question because, honestly, I think there are a lot of good things to do in talent and leadership development, and we really enjoy them, and they think they're, that they're, they're, they're powerful, and they certainly are when they're put together across a career or, you know, to make learning happen. The challenge, I think, is, and what's wrong with how we develop leaders and talent is that we forget that the business leaders and the people in the positions have human conditions that make them talented at certain things, that the gifts and talents that belong to those people align with what they do or should. And instead, what we do is we teach people to do a role. We say, here's this very specific square box, uh, you know, meticulously designed job role. And we say, I want you to do these things as I've listed them, rather than stepping back and saying, look, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is what this team is here to do. This is what this leadership position is here to do. And really discover the unique talents and gifts of those people and put them on a path so that they're applying those gifts in those roles. So that, I think, is the myth today. Yeah, and, and I have found that it really does depend on the person. I mean, you have some people where if you can just show them where we're going and back up and give them that full autonomy and allow them that opportunity to figure out they, they often come up with stuff that's so much better, right? They come up with things that we never <laughs> would have thought of. And they, they clearly identify the things that we would have on that list. And then there are, I have other people where, you know, they need a little bit more structure and they need a little bit more of a direction. Uh, maybe they lack some of that imagination or I think the sort of the, the third level of that is they need to be on a team, right? And we, we're really team-based. Yeah. So you have yeah. some people who, can do certain things and other people who do other things, but when they're all together, then they can, you're not having to micromanage a team and where it's much easier to find yourself micromanaging a person. It's really hard to do with a team because they have all those different competencies. Is that, I guess, oh, in your mind, a, a good way to handle it or, or is there another way to think about it? Well, yeah, I mean, there's so, there's like three different things in what you just said. Uh, so, you know, firstly, I think when you say some people, you can just say go and get there. So if you think from a situational leadership standpoint, if that person is already excellent at performing that function, then you want to step up and just support their relationship. But if you're talking about um, the fact that the work to be done in the team is varied, right, not everyone is doing the same type of work, then aligning people with their strengths is going to get you the best teamwork. 
right? So if somebody is really good at crunching numbers and looking at the facts, that sort of thing, and we also need some interpersonal behaviors with customers or clients or vendors or something like that, and then you have the ability to put these folks together in a team that collaboratively makes the sum better than its parts, right? The value that you get there is extraordinary. That's sort of building a team as well as saying, what are you best at? How do I grow your strength? And then how do I help you identify your superpower? The third thing I heard you say there, if I may, was that there's a degree of uh, self-awareness in career progression. So early on, I didn't necessarily, like I said, I did not set out to say, you know what, I'm going to be a learning person. I'm going to be a strategic leader in a corporation. Uh, early on, I knew there were certain things I was good at, but then I started going on the journey. So, so you have to help people early in their careers start to discover what their gifts are, and that takes going on the journey. It takes trying things. It, co- it takes them stretching and figuring that out. It also takes oftentimes an outside peer or coach to, to give them guidance because self-awareness about that is not always easy to come by, right? So as you mature in your career, you get to feel for, you know what, I'm really good at these things and I feel comfortable in them, I'm strong in them, and you continue to grow those things. You're using, you're applying your gifts, you're applying your talent, and then you can say, I do this really well. Um, And I'm a big advocate of helping people not only become self-aware about that, but do their job in such a way that it plays to their strengths because there's a lot of different ways to get the job done, like you said at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it kind of reminds me, I think it makes sense for leaders, it makes sense for people to say, yeah, you should have people do what they're they're good at. And you should have people, um, you know, focus on their strengths. Um, And if they can get get past that initial sort of stumbling block of trying to figure out what that is, or how to appropriately gauge that. One of the mistakes that I see leaders make all the time is, and it kind of relates back to this uh, halo effect, this cognitive bias that we make this assumption that if somebody is good at one thing, they're going to be good at something else. And and conversely, oh, yeah. this is true. If they were bad at one yeah. thing, they must be bad at everything. And right. I see leaders over and over again take their A players or people who are doing these great things at, at something they're really good at and then try to push them into something else. And then, and then there's failure, right? And then there are people who are upset and, and you have apology. There's all this stuff that kind of goes into that. Have you seen that as well? And if you have, you know, what do we need to think about doing to make sure we don't put people in those positions, you know, sort of overworking our, our A players or, or putting them in positions where they're not going to be successful? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is the, just in general a leadership weakness. We all have to watch out for it, which is having that go-to person that you always just go to them, right? That That is absolutely something you have to check yourself on and make sure that you don't do. But I also think that the halo effect is real. I totally agree with you. It happens in hiring, right? This person looks like me, acts like me, seems to have great successes, and therefore mm-hmm. I'm going to hire them. It happens in promotions. It happens in, um, you know, uh, distribution of work, like you said, of, well, so-and-so always gets it right, so let's go ahead and give it to so-and-so again. It also means that other people don't have the opportunity to grow, right? So, so you're, you're, you're doing doubly, you're making the error twice, is you're saying not only am I hurting the person that I keep giving too much work to, that I'm overburdening, but I'm also taking away the opportunity to grow for someone who maybe is ready for that challenge. 
So, so I agree with you that the halo effect is real. Uh, I think we always have to, in any kind of bias, we have to check ourselves and say, okay, am I bringing bias into this situation? Um, and, and that's, that's uh, I'm a big believer in the, you know, my bias is cards and those sorts of things. It's a lot of fun um, to go through those and, and say, hey, um, let's get real and make sure that we're not bringing bias into what we do. So I do. I agree with you that that halo is an issue. the 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 fact that we're making the double error is something that I would stress to both team members and leaders: is to say, where can I give people opportunities to grow and get a little more creative with that? Because um, I, I think that people think, well, this is the job; they're doing the job. But there's other projects, there's things that you can reach over and do, whether it's a volunteer opportunity or community work or in, in terms of helping out another team that stretch and grow people um, to make really fantastically colorful careers that uh, aren't really, you know, by rote and by uh, job description, I'll say. Yeah, and, and I think often where I, uh, leaders will sort of give me that shrugging shoulder look is when I say, you know, to stretch your people, to get them to do things that they wouldn't normally do. Because they say, well, you know, short term, I'm just trying to get the job done. I mean, I've been told to, to, to go from point A to point B, and I need to get that done quickly and efficiently. So I'm going to go to the best people that I that I know can get that done. And that may work in the short term, but it's, it is very short-sighted. And so they don't they say, I don't know how to, to, to stretch someone. How do we do that with and still accomplish things? And you know, for me, we have often still maybe still had those A players that we know when it needed to be on that project, still on the team, but maybe we could put somebody else in charge of the group, right? Maybe we brought in somebody else to, to sort of be a part of that process and to learn and to grow uh, that wouldn't otherwise have been there. And because they're in charge of the deadline or they're in charge of the outcome, even though those really talented people are going to help them get to that finish line, they can grow and get better. And I think maybe there's a sort of missing strategies there for people to really understand how do you help people stretch and how do you help them grow and, and, and not feel like you're just, I guess, coercing them to learn something they didn't want to learn or to do some job they didn't want to do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> training is coercion. Gotta love that right. one. Um, no, I mean, I think this is why leaders miss it, right? Is because they're promoted based on delivering results and, and, and executing on operational goals. So, so what they're, the, the strength of the person who gets promoted into that position is someone as good at delivering results, not necessarily someone who's built their career on growing capacity of people, right? And then reaching in and finding and drawing out the best in their people. Maybe they've delegated it to HR, which is a pet peeve of mine, right? To say, hey, uh, people management, let's delegate that to HR because they're good with people, right? Still, they don't know your teams as better, as, as well as you can when you're working with them every day. So to me, leaders need to develop these skills that are a little bit more fuzzy. They're a little bit more squishy. Things like um, interpersonal skills, understanding personalities. Uh, you're throwing around the word, I think you threw around the word com competency, right? Um, what does that mean? Uh, do we understand the knowledge and skills and abilities it takes to perform not only this role, but to grow into other careers in our organization? If we're saying that we're in an industry, and I am certainly, I, I love being in disruptive, highly changing industries, right? It, it, because honestly, that is where people are a huge ROI factor. The, the talent that you need when things are changing, you must have learning, you must engage your talent, right? And so I feel very engaged in those spaces. 
So you can't sit there and say, this is what the job has always been, so I'm going to teach you how to do that job. You will never get ahead that way as an organization, as a company, as a team. You need to be able to um, not only look ahead, but to say, what are the things we're going to need to get next? And if you continually say, this is how to do it the way we did it last year, you'll always be you know, backwards facing as opposed to forward facing. Does, does that make sense from, from your perspective and, and, and where we were going? Yeah, it really does. And I think kind of leads us into the, the next part I was going to ask you is, you know, if, if we sort of, we seem to be agreeing, we seem to have a clear idea of, of what this looks like, but does this change for a business when we're in a crisis like we are right now? You know, does that need or that how we apply things or, how, or the attention we, we, we place on this, you know, how, if at all, do you think it changes in a crisis? Yeah, I, you know, I think that when people are um, aligned with their gifts and they feel like they're bringing their talents, like their reason for being their their best um, attributes, they're bringing them to the fore in their work or, or in, in how they're acting each day. I think when people are doing that, they have a very clear sense of purpose. And I, and I think that's also true about organizations. So so when organizations understand their, you know, core competencies and their unique uh, differentiation, then then from the market feedback and from understanding what their talents and gifts are, they're aligning the corporate strategy with the true talents and gifts of their people, and they're experiencing this sense of purpose, and you get much higher engagement. The other thing you get is in time of crisis, the right thing to do is to make sure that you can go back to your core and recognize why do we exist? Why do I do this job? What makes me come in and do this every day? Because there are a lot of difficulties. There's a lot of challenge going right now. No question about it. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we need to work on um, as a society. But at the same time, if I'm bringing who I am and, and my best gifts, to my work, then I feel a sense of purpose, and I've already done that work. So, so the to me, where leaders and teams have already done this work on their teams, the changing dynamics around us, particularly when we're in crisis, are hard, but as long as we're using our talents, we're doing what we're here to do. So I would say crisis is the time when you need this approach the most. It's not just about getting the job done. Okay, let's there's crisis, let's show up, get the job done. It's actually the opposite. Crisis can be an opportunity to focus on the right things and to say, why are we here and why are we still doing this and why are we still motivated to do things even though times are tough? Uh, is that is that what you're hearing as well or have you experienced that as well? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive, but I find that during a crisis, people are far more open to learn something new. They're far more open to to change or to evolve or to learn, whereas when we're busy and things are, are going great, we seem to let it go. We seem to, you know, not spend that extra time learning that new thing or reading that extra book or going to that conference or whatever, right? We sort of take it for granted when uh, we're, you know, we're, li- we're living, living great and, and everything's going great with the business. Um, yeah, right. And then, and then when all, all of a sudden things are, Oh man, I mean, the first thing we did with our staff is say, this is the time to go get those projects done. We always couldn't get done. This is the time to go learn that thing and go read that book. And, you know, we really sort of challenged everyone to go back and, and think, and they did, and which was great. Because I had a little extra time, which was nice. Right. Um, yeah. But I think they were mentally in tune with, geez, you know, the world has changed. I'm, I can't stay the same. But in the flip side, you know, if I look back a year ago, 
it was it was a bit more of a struggle with some of them, right, to to get them to think about those things when when everything was fine, you know. So I think this is if leaders are thinking about it, this is the time to have that conversation. This is the time to get your people to think about that. It's certainly the time for you as a leader to to think about where you need to 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 develop and what you need to work on uh, to be ready for uh, the next few years, right? Well, and at the risk of sounding like an internal marketer, because I do believe that (laughs) any good talent person needs to have a good marketing bone in their body and play a good technology bone in their body, is that that there are positive and negative motivators to change. And on on the positive side, there's the open to, you know, trying something new because I have some flexibility, that sort of thing. But also there's fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And those things can trigger a, well, wait a second, maybe I ought to be learning something more. Maybe I haven't been paying attention to growing my skills and growing my career. And uh, so, again, it's a little bit risky for me to, you know, show my cards here. But I do think that if we can get people there um, and recognize that this is valuable, as long as they start the journey, even if it took a little bit of, uh, you know, uncertainty or doubt to move them there, I still think that's positive and it's it's forward moving. So, so I'll throw in that little marketing, you know, whichever way we can get them there perspective. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I mean, is there more that we need to do with those people? I mean, if we put them in the category of non-believers, right, or people who aren't really listening to the message or we don't want to certainly force them into training or to be, you know, I guess, shoving them in a room to learn something if they're not open to learning, if they're not there to learn. I mean, mm. what, what, what are you, I, I certainly could tell you what I think we've done in the past uh, to try to help that, but what, what are some of the things that, that you think need to be done to prepare someone to be ready and, and more, I guess, more willing and more open-minded to, to learn those things? So um, I, I like um, math equations that are not really math equations. So uh, you've probably heard this one before, so forgive me. But I, I think that performance equals competence plus motivation. You heard that one before? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So so when we think about motivation and, and whether I care to do this, I talked a little bit about marketing and fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But I also think that you're, you're needing to move people in this awareness from um, I don't think there's a problem. I'm doing just fine. I can do my job. I'm showing up every day. I'm good to becoming uh, aware of what they don't know. So that's that, that conscious incompetence we're trying to get them to. Um, if I'm allowed to refer to a Johari window on a podcast, because, uh, you know, it's easier if you can see it drawn. But the, the idea is um, people aren't motivated to learn unless they think there's a gap. Right. And so if they're not aware of the gap, something needs to shock them into it. Um, I like to think I like to think of this as when uh, same way when you're thinking about driving. So when a you ask a three year old if they know how to drive, uh, she'll say, yeah, I know how to drive. And she'll just, you know, move the wheel. Right. Pretend she's moving the wheel and say, sure, I know how to drive. She's unconsciously incompetent. So then you get your teenager into the car to start training them to drive. And, uh, and they say, sure, I know how to drive. And they put it in gear, and I love it when it's a standard shift car, right? And they, the first time they pull out the clutch and, and maybe pop it a little bit, and, and the, the car lurches, and it's scary, and it jumps, and they go, oh, I don't know how to drive. That's the place you need to get them to in order for them to be willing to learn. 
eventually they get to this conscious competence. And to me, that's where, what's where learning happens is, is between I've now become aware that I have a gap and I need to get there. So, so how do we get these folks aware that there's a gap? There's a lot of positive motivation. You know, um, I think leaders need to be encouraged to, to recognize that, um, Finding, helping people on their journey to discover their talents and their gifts is critical to their success. There's a lot of ROI measures on it. There's, um, there's everything from productivity results to financial results that are significantly better for highly engaged employees who are doing exactly what they want to be doing and feel empowered and aligned with the company purpose. So I think that's part of it because they need support from their leaders. But this sort of becoming aware, um, you know, one of the things that we're doing at Ingenico right now is we have a global learning week going on. And what we've done is we've created these learning paths aligned with job families that say, hey, if you're in this job family, you might want to go on this path. Uh, some of the stuff you might know already, but it also includes things that they might not know. And so it creates this at least a little bit of awareness of, hey, I thought I was fantastic, and yet I don't know that thing. Uh, right. Like, if I want to be a customer hero, I need customer advocacy. Nobody ever told me I needed to learn customer advocacy before. Or um, if I want to be fantastic in coding, um, nobody told me that we were cross-training another software development code. Right? So, so these are things that create some more awareness not in a punishing way, but in a forward-looking um, way that allow them to say, you know what, I'm really good at coding, but I haven't learned that one yet, so I'd really like to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to make sure we uh, get our final two questions in. We have just a few minutes left, uh, and the first one is one of our favorites, and that is, is there a book or something you're reading right now you might share with us? Ah, okay. Well, so um, I usually read a lot of fiction, but I'll tell you about the two nonfiction books that I have <laughs> on my side table right now. Anything you want to talk about is fine. <laughs> it, yeah. If you know about um, uh, anything related to my personality profile, you know I don't read a nonfiction book all the way through, but I like to bebop around them. The two I've got right now are Leadership Agility by Bill Joyner and Stephen Joseph. And the other is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Noah Harari. And those both of those books were recommended to me by colleagues and leaders that I greatly respect, and I'm, uh, you know, really honored to be in their, um, in their purview, and, and that they've recommended them to me. So um, I'm enjoying them greatly. Well, those are great uh, suggestions, and we'll certainly, as we mentioned before, to list them on uh, Twitter uh, for anyone who's interested in, in remembering or, or clicking on those, checking them out. And our final question, and most importantly, is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you and the work that you do? Sure. Well, I'm certainly on LinkedIn, uh, linked to Ingenico Group, um, and I'm also happy to be part of a uh, group called Georgia Learns, which is a collaborative designed to link economic and social progress to learning in Georgia. And I'm on the advisory board for the Academy for Advanced Learning. So we're focusing on building strong learning leaders for a great future. So I hope you will find me there. Fantastic. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the show today and providing us so much uh, impactful uh, information. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things that you're doing. Thanks, Chris. I really enjoyed the conversation.
All right, our next live show will be June 9th. That's uh, next week. Our guests will include uh, Jody Radenwitz. I'm probably saying that wrong, as I usually do. I'll get it right tomorrow or next week. Um, Head of talent and organizational development for that little company you may know called Zoom. And then we'll have uh, Ryan Berman on. He's the founder of Courageous. He's also the CEO of SockProblems.com. And he's an author of the book uh, Return on Courage as well. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.